Well, I want to welcome uh, our radio audience. I want to welcome our internet audience uh, as we continue to study part two of Nicodemus, Jesus speaking to Nicodemus. And I'm speaking about this in, in part two because it, God has laid this on my heart, uh, laid this on my heart because I believe that God wants us to understand just how important, uh, just how important it is to understand what it means to be born again. And so, as we understand this issue, as we understand this, Jesus is speaking to a man who is a devout Jew. Uh, a man who is a rabbi, a Pharisee, one of the very leaders in Israel of the Jewish faith. And so if you, if you think about this, I want you to think about what it is for this Man, this Jesus, this man born a carpenter to look face to face in this well-educated chief rabbi, Pharisee, Nicodemus, point to him and say, you must be born again. It was like an explosion went off. I must be born again. Do you know who you're talking to? I'm Nicodemus. I'm a rabbi. I'm a Pharisee. I'm on the Sanhedrin. Uh, I'm a man of prominence. I'm a leader. I'm at the top of the religious food chain. Uh, and Jesus said, it's of no consequence. You must be born again. Uh, and I want to tell you that that message re resonates to me across the centuries today. And Jesus is speaking to my heart, and I hope speaking to your heart. Because what it means is that there are people who are putatively religious. They go to church. They're involved in church activities. They've been there for years, but the question becomes, has there been a heart conversion? Have they truly given their heart to Jesus Christ? Uh, and one of the things that we talked about last week is this, and that is this. This is not something that you do on your own. You have no authority whatsoever to make yourself born again. This is not some man-made determination. This is not some human philosophy that you get up one day and you say, you know what? Today, I'm going to be different for the rest of my life. I'm going to stop being angry. I'm going to stop cursing. I'm going to stop being abusive. I'm going to be a holy, righteous man. And the next day, you get up and you're back in the same trench that you were before, because it has nothing to do with us. Nothing. You cannot do this. This is something totally given to you by God, by the grace of God. And so as I explained this to you last week, I want to make sure you understand this. Effectively what it is, it is the self-recognition that you are lost, that no matter where you are, what kind of gifts and talents God has given you, that it is of no consequence whatsoever regarding your position in the kingdom of God. Just as he said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. I don't care that you're a Pharisee, a leader of the people of Israel. All I'm telling you is that your religiosity is of no consequence. And so I say that to you this morning because I have guys here from pretty much every church in Naples. And so God wants you to know uh, it's great that you're going to church, but I don't want you to think you're getting to heaven or into the kingdom of God because you're a church member. Because if you're doing that, then you have miscalculated 
what God said to Nicodemus. You're only going to be in the kingdom of God is if you bow and ask God to take over your life, if you reach out from the muck and mire of your sin and say, Father, I am lost, I need a Savior. And at that moment, God reaches across eternity and he, at that moment, he puts the Spirit of God, effectively the Spirit of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, plants it within your heart. All right? And so here's the thing that I know some of you may have asked last week, how do I know if I'm saved? You know if you're saved because you've got the Holy Spirit within your heart. You understand? You've got the Holy Spirit within your heart. And how does that work? It works like this. As I'm speaking these words right now to you in your heart, your heart is going, amen, amen, yes, yes, amen. That, my friends, is the Holy Spirit. You understand? That's not man-made. This is not some charismatic guy getting up here and making a political speech or a philosophical speech. It's about the Holy Spirit speaking directly to your heart. That's what he gives you. That's what makes you saved that moment. And he seals it with his hand by taking and promising you that from this day forth, no one, no power, no principality, no demon will ever be able to take you out of his hand. Amen? Amen? This is the ultimate Christmas message. You understand? I could sit up here and talk about the manger and the baby and the shepherds and the wise men. And it's all great, you understand? But the real Christmas message is this. He saved us by the blood of Jesus Christ. Once and for all, you are all Born again. And the guarantee is that when you are born again, as, you, as he holds us in his hands, we will be with each other in heaven. You will be with your family in heaven. You will see each other again as we serve him again in heaven. What a powerful image. All of this comes about because this man came in the middle of the night to see Jesus. And I want you to know something. I believe that the Holy Spirit was working on Nicodemus. All right? Nicodemus was disturbed, I'm sure. Nicodemus had heard about Jesus. Nicodemus had heard about the miracles. And so even though Nicodemus held this position of authority, he was being worked on by God. He was being convicted. And so he comes at night. He comes at night uh, because he doesn't want to risk everything. He doesn't want to risk his position. Uh, and so... Uh, as he comes at night and Jesus just blows up his entire religious viewpoint. Effectively, what he is saying to Nicodemus is that, Nicodemus, you are an Israelite, and by your nature right now, you are not capable of the kingdom of God. Me? Me? You're talking to me? I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you. Uh, and so really, this, this, this picture has to re resonate in your heart as you, as you understand. Uh, we receive, when we are born again, we receive a new origin. What do I mean by that? It is God has recreated us at that moment. We are no longer men coming out of the DNA of Adam. We are now effectively, spiritually uh, related through our DNA to Jesus Christ. That's what happens. You become a son of God, all right? All of this happens 
uh, at that at that moment when you when you make your point of giving your heart to to God. Now, here's what I know some of you are saying. Some of you are saying, well, I believe that I that I've done this, that I've given my heart to God. But I I don't feel like I have been progressing. I don't see uh, my life moving closer to God. Uh, And what does that mean? Well, what it means, folks, is an understanding of how salvation works. And I want to make sure I drill this home with you because this is important. There's, you need to understand the difference between day one and day two, spiritually. Here's day one. Day one is you are saved having nothing to do with anything that you did other than recognize you're lost. You got that? having nothing to do with anything you did other than recognize, Lord Jesus, Father, I'm lost. I need a Savior. And at that moment, irrespective of the fact that you had nothing to do with it, you're saved. Now, a lot of people stay in day one. Because day two, up to the rest of your life, relates to what you do with that salvation. Because here's the thing. You can do nothing and just be there and accept the gift that God has given you, and you're saved, all right? And God was promised you, he holds you in his hand, but he wants more from you. He wants you to take up the cross of Christ. He wants you to walk with Jesus, and he wants you to sanctify yourself on a daily basis. Meaning what? He expects us on day two to move forward, and in order to move forward under the grace of God, he expects us willfully to use what he has given you. The gifts, the talents, to walk with Christ, be with Christ, pray with, the, with God, ask God to intervene, ask God to open your eyes. Lord, where do you want me to go? Who do you want me to speak to? How do you want me to speak? How do I conduct the affairs that you want me to do? All of this involves day two. It is you applying the principles of salvation through the grace of Jesus Christ. And that is how we walk in the kingdom of God. And so, yes... It's a pale, and God has filled you with the Holy Spirit. He's given you that when you were saved, but the pale has holes, and every day of your life walking around in this world, you're going to be tempted, and people are going to cross you and say mean-spirited things to you, and all these things will cause the pale to drip out and the Holy Spirit to drip out, and God expects you to ask for a refilling. That's part of the process of day two. Refill me, Lord. Draw me, Lord. And speaking to God, praying to God for these kinds of things. And so I want you to understand the difference between day one and day two. It doesn't mean that people in day one aren't saved. They're saved. But they have not advanced in the kingdom of God. All right? They have not advanced in the kingdom of God. And so this is important uh, for you to to understand this. And so we had a lengthy outline on this subject last week, and we didn't get through it all. Uh, And I wanted to go back and emphasize certain of the verses because one of the things that happens here is that when God uh, reveals to Nicodemus this need to be saved, uh, effectively, he is expecting Nicodemus to go back and search the scriptures. I'm sure Nicodemus left there and said, I have to go back and see if what Jesus said. I have to see if what Jesus said resonates in the scriptures. Uh, And I'm sure that when he did this and when God spoke to him, you know, we don't know every word that Jesus said. Uh, We don't have the the ability to have a tape recorder there. Uh, But I'm sure that one of the things that Jesus referred to 
was Psalm 51, because this is a psalm that really relates to what it means to be saved. I want you to understand this. This is how salvation works, all right? So here's an example in the Old Testament of effectively what it means to be born again. This is the Psalm of David. I spoke to you about it briefly last week. Here's David. Uh, now he's, he's committed adultery with, with Bathsheba. He's lost the baby from that union. He is brokenhearted, all right? He, is not, he will not write a Psalm for about 18 months. How do you like that? All the gifts that he has gotten, all right? He will have no prophecies. He will have nothing. God is not working in his life during this period of time. And now he, he comes and he prays and this is now a thousand years, a thousand years before Christ. A thousand years. And so you see here, Psalm 51, verse 1, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. That's the nature of what happens when we ask for God to be, become born again. Blot out my sin, Lord. I can't look at it. I don't want to see it. I can't sleep right. Uh, it, it bothers me continually. My conscience is disturbed by what I've done. Help me, Father. Blot it out. And God does blot it out. He removes our transgressions as far as the east is from the west. And continuing there in verse 3, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak. And that's under, we need to understand that. When you sin, yes, you may break the heart of people in your family. You may break the heart of friends. You may do wrong to people that you know. But ultimately, you are breaking the heart of God. You're sinning against God. Every sin that you do, every transgression that you do, bounces to God. And when you recognize that, when you understand the nature of what God is doing for us, you understand that. And so uh, he says this, against you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you're proved right when you speak and justified when you, when you judge. Verse six, surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. And so you see this aspect of God speaking here uh, through David, telling us what he expects from us in terms of us understanding about our sin and what our sin is and how only by being washed by the grace of Jesus Christ. And let me explain something to you. When you're becoming born again and you now have the new nature, does that mean you'll never sin again? Oh, please, are you, are you kidding me? Are you kidding? You are a sinning machine, a sinning machine, all right? Uh, and, and for many of us, we're laying in bed ready to get up and we've already sinned in our mind. We've already sinned in our mind. I had a dear lady who was in my, one of my BLGs, and I said that about myself, that even before I would get up in the morning, I knew that in my mind I'd committed several. She says, you need to go before the Lord. There's, some, there's something wrong with you. No, no, dear madam, no, no. There's nothing wrong with me. I am flesh and blood, and this is what a carnal flesh and blood individual does. He saved me and he's given me the grace to re recognize my sin. But no, that's what I am. And until you recognize that's what you are also, okay, that's what you are also, you're not going to be used in the kingdom of God. All right? You're not going to be used in the kingdom of God. Look at verse 10 in this, in this 
psalm. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. You see the aspect of restoration. That's what this is about, restoration. Restore me, God. Uh, restore me. And so this, this really resonates with me uh, in a mighty way as I understand and see how, how God speaks to our heart. Look also, if you would, at Psalm 87. Another psalm that effectively points the way to the issue of being born again. Psalm 87, verse 4. And this is a psalm in which God is going to speak about countries and peoples who have, have had dark pasts, but who God intends to save. Verse 4, I will record Rahab. You know Rahab was the prostitute that brought the Jewish people uh, uh, in, into, into uh, uh, Jericho, thank you. And Babylon, how about that? Babylon also meaning that Babylon, that people in Babylon will be saved even though they conquered Israel. Among those who acknowledge me, Philistia too and Tyre along with Cush, and I will say this one was born in Zion. What does it mean? It means that even in these countries that have been, uh, viciously opposed the people of God. That within them, God will save those people who come to faith. He will not blot out the entire nation, even though they have an evil past. Uh, and so you see this. It's a very, very important message. And so I also want you to refer to Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel chapter 37. Now this, this message has a very warm place in my heart because as you know, my father preached for 55 years from, from the same pulpit. Uh, and this was a message that my father would deliver probably once a year. It was a message that he would deliver once a year. He would, he would also once a year speak about the letter to the church of Laodicea, which we spoke about last week where God speaks to the angel of the church of Laodicea and says to the church of Laodicea, I know your works, I know where you were, that you had done great things, and that, but now you are lukewarm. I wish you were either hot or cold, and I would spew you out of my mouth. Why? Because you're lukewarm. Because you're not on fire for God. Because you're not committing yourself to God. Uh, and so many of us find ourselves in that way. And so this is a, this is a passage that speaks mightily about the power of God, and I believe a message that relates really to the issue of the Spirit of God and being born again. This is a message that Ezekiel is giving to Israel, the chosen people, the people of God. And now he's giving this message, and he's talking about the valley of dry bones. Read with me, if you would, verse 37. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones, he led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones uh, on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? I said, oh, sovereign Lord, you alone know. And he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear 
the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Oh, wow. All right, that's effectively the nature of how God looks at people who are not saved. Dry bones, dead, without life, dead men walking. That's what it is until the power of the word of God is brought to their heart. This is what God does. He speaks through the power of the Holy Spirit. All right, he may use men to do that, but when he does that, it is the veritable power of the Holy Spirit of God that speaks to the dry bones and takes the dry bones and can make them saved. And that's the picture that you see here. This is why I'm sure that Nicodemus went back after meeting with Jesus and looked at some of these verses. So verse seven, so I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together bone to bone. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. And let me stop and talk to you about what that means. Yes, Seemingly, the bones become united. But notice this, even though they were united, there still was no breath in them. Meaning what? There's commotion. There's seemingly activity. All right? There's seemingly activity. The bones look like they're moving. The bones look like they're coming together. But there is still no breath. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has not been pronounced on them. Here's the point I want to make for you. This applies to so many of us in our churches. We're busy. We have activities. We have committees. We're working away. And here's the deal, guys. Commotion in and of itself does not prove salvation. Can I get an amen? amen. You understand? Merely moving the ball does not mean that you're serving God or advancing the kingdom of God. There's something more profound needed, something deeper needed. And look at it there in verse uh, nine. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied and he's, as he commanded, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood on their feet a vast army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Oh, my people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I am going to bring you back to the land of Israel. And so this is an image. This is an image, all right? A prophetic image of exactly how God works in terms of of giving us the Holy Spirit and saving us. This is what salvation is about. Until you're saved, effectively, you're nothing more than a bag of bones. God sees it. He understands it, but we don't understand it. And so it becomes important for us to understand this as God uh, reveals it through his word. And so Nicodemus had much to think about, much to think about uh, with his meaning of Jesus. Um, and, and Jesus also spoke about the necessity of the Messiah's suffering. Look, Nicodemus, let's understand something. The Messiah is going to suffer. 
Um, and this had to be extraordinary for a Jew to hear, wait a minute, wait a minute. This isn't what I believe. You know, when I studied him being Messiah, he's going to be our political leader. He's going to be our general. He is going to take us and lift Rome out of Israel. We are going to be saved by our Messiah. He will destroy Rome. Wrong. Jesus didn't care about the political implications of Rome. You understand? Jesus was never a political person. Jesus cared about your heart. Jesus cared about your salvation. And so Nicodemus now is being told that the very Messiah that he has waited for, this Messiah will be lifted up like the bronze serpent is lifted up and that the only way you will be saved is by looking at that hideous picture of that snake on a pole and then you'll be saved and that'll be exactly the way the Messiah will be lifted up. Oh, no, God, there must be some mistake. This can't be so. I can't believe this is what we're going to see. Yes, this is what you're going to see because I'm changing the rules of the game. There is no more animal substitutionary sacrifice. There is one sacrifice once and for all. And so this is a life-shattering change, uh, a life-shattering change for a devout Jew. Can you imagine what it is like? And so here's the point for you. Jesus is doing this to a person who is openly religious. I want you to think about the people in your family, the people in your country clubs, your neighbors who are also openly religious. But the question for you is, have they given themselves the life-changing effect of being born again? Have they done that? Have they asked God to do this? Or are they instead camped out in religiosity? Which is weird. You know, this is where Nicodemus was. He was camped out in religiosity because at that point, nobody in Israel had ever heard a message like this. Nobody ever spoke about being born again up until that point in time. Yes, the scriptures alluded to it, but you needed Jesus, the son of man, once and for all to do this. And so you see this. Our own human efforts will never bring you to being born again. Only through the saving work of God. We cannot be saved on our own. It's impossible to understand this. Uh, and so you need to see this. I'm really, I'm really touched by this message as I understand really what God is saying to this. And really, uh, God is convicting me in my heart. And I have to say that probably for most of my life, personally, I was camped out in day one. You understand? Camped out in day one. I was saved. Anybody ask me, are you saved? Yes, I'm saved. All right, all right. I mean, I played the organ in church for 40 years. You understand? I, I was involved in church work. But the question was, John, you're camped out in day one, meaning what? Have you fully taken the cross of Jesus Christ and walked with him for the worst, rest of your life? Have you picked it up and, and been involved in an ongoing act of sanctification? Are you doing what he has called you to do? Have you asked him, what do you want me to do? Have you asked him that question? Because if you ask him that question, he will reveal it to you. That's the kind of God we have. If you say to him, Lord, what's the call on my life? What do you want me to do? And look, here's the thing. I know some of you are afraid, oh, John, if I do that, I'll have a ticket in the mailbox for Africa the next day. Oh, I'm concerned. He'll, I know he's going to send me to Africa. Listen, please, folks, 
Do you think God would do that to the Africans? <laughs> Seriously, you think God would do that to the Africans? Some of us would single-handedly set back the work of God 100 years, all right? And so here's the thing, as we bow to God, as we submit to God, as we put our face in the dust, he will reveal to you what your individual call is. And you know that Nicodemus obviously eventually comes to faith because Nicodemus will go to the cross and take the body of Jesus down off the cross. He will wrap that body up in linen and along with Joseph of Arimathea will bury Jesus in a crypt. That's what he did publicly, meaning Nicodemus was making a statement publicly that he is saved. You understand? And so you see the power of God resonating in the heart of a man. And so this is what God wants you to do. He wants you to ask him, what is my will, Lord? How do you want me to serve? And here's the thing. Each of us in this group has a different set of gifts and talents. I don't have your gifts. I don't have your talents, and you may not have mine, but God has uniquely situated you. And so to the extent that he has, you bow before him, and here's the thing. Some of you need to work in a prison ministry. Some of you need to work in a homeless shelter. Uh, some of you need to work in a church. Yes, possibly even in a church, okay? I need to work in a church. Uh, and, and some of you yet may be used by God to teach Bible studies. And some of you may be in a situation where God even expects you to publicly articulate the will of God uh, to other people. Who knows? I mean, that was the call that God made on my heart that I never expected that to be. I told you that story that I was sitting there in an empty, dark church and a, and a woman came in with a, a mentally handicapped 16-year-old girl uh, and if there's nobody in that church but myself and my wife. It's, it's dark. This woman comes in with this girl and as I see this girl, and uh, this goes back now almost 18 years, this girl comes in and my heart is convicted because I had a boy about that age and had I never really thanked God for what he had done for me. I never thanked God for the blessings that he had given me to give me a healthy child. And as I looked at that girl, I was convicted that God, I'd never thanked you. And as I'm speaking to God and praying to God, she walks down the aisle of a dark church back, you know, thousand seats and sits directly behind me, directly behind me, 2,000 seats. And a woman comes over and says, we have a, a Sunday school for mentally handicapped children. My own son is in it. And this woman says, oh, my daughter is a Christian. And with this, this mentally handicapped girl says in a clear voice, oh, yes, I love Jesus. He's my personal savior. And at that moment, it was as if Jesus took a knife and plunged it into my heart right there by myself in a darkened church. No music, no Billy Graham, no 50,000 people in my heart. And I distinctly heard these words, you see, John. You can speak in courtrooms all over America, and I never once heard you publicly articulate that about me. Oh, God. Oh, God. You want me to publicly articulate this about you? This is what you're saying to me? And my life would never be the same. My life would never be the same. You understand? Never, never, because I bowed to the throne of God. He called me. That was the call. It was unmistakable. I heard his voice. He will do the same for you. Now, maybe you won't hear 
the voice of God in that clear, articulate way. But he will open doors for you. He will set your paths for you. He will send you places that he wants you to do. You will ask him, Lord, open the doors, close the doors, and all of this will happen. God will do this. But this is the message of day two being born again. I want every single guy in this room to secretly make a commitment to God. Lord, I will serve you. I will serve you in my family. I will serve you in your, in your house. I will serve you in your church. I will serve you in Naples, Florida. I will serve you in the world. I will go and do and say what you want me to say. I will be your man. It'll no longer be me. It's no longer John. You understand? People ask me now, what, what, what do you do for a living? Even when I, I, I travel places, I said, well, really, the old John would say, well, I'm, I'm a lawyer. Now I say, I'm a Bible teacher. I'm a Bible teacher. That's what I am. I'm a Bible teacher who used to be a lawyer. You understand? But here's the, here's the graciousness of God and what I want to tell you. You see, God takes all the gifts and talents of your life, everything that you've been, and he molds it into what you will be. Who knows the gifts that he gave you, that you, got, you had a successful life, that he allowed affluence into your life? Who knows that he gave you all that so that when you step out now in salvation in day two, he's got a whole new world for you in which those talents and those gifts will be used. Many of us have been given great affluence by God. Many of us. Now the question is, what do you want me to do, Lord? Is this just about me hoarding it? Or do you want me to use it for the kingdom of God? And as you bow before the Lord and the kingdom of God, God reveals this. And I know that there are many of you here who are taking your affluence and using it in a mighty way to advance the kingdom of God. I want to assure you that that is part of the call of God on your life. That's part of the call of God on your life. That's a gift and talent that God has given. And so all of this is coming together. All of this is coming together as Nicodemus comes in the middle of the night to see this carpenter, to see this poor man who somehow is being mightily used by God. And I can say, oh, rabbi, I'm going to call you rabbi because it's clear you are some kind of a rabbi. But God is using you, rabbi. And Jesus just cuts through it. Don't tell me I'm great. Don't tell me I'm good. Focus instead on the fact that you need to be saved. Look, I'm speaking to myself, folks. Whenever I get up and talk, I want you to understand something. I speak first to me. If it bounces off me and hits you, then that's what God plans. But I'm speaking to me. I'm not throwing stones at you. I'm not condemning you. This is between you and God. You need to commit yourself today. Look, this is the Christmas season. This is what Christmas is about. Yes, we love the baby in the manger. Yes, we love the shepherds and the wise men. We love it all. We love the angels. We love the Christmas carols. Our hearts are lifted up, but none of it makes sense. It would all be a waste of time unless God allowed us to be born again, unless he poured his life into our hearts, allowed you to someday have the assurance you'd be in the kingdom of God. 
that you would be with Jesus himself. That's what this is about. That's what the Christmas season is about. That's the message of hope you have to give to a world that's lost. When you leave here and go out into the parking lot, I hope you recommit yourself. Recommit yourself to doing this for God. Recommit yourself in that kind of a way. Uh, and, and so this is so important. There's a couple of verses I want to give you as we bring this to a, to a close. I want you to turn to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2, understanding again the nature of what God has given us through, through rebirth. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Start with verse 19, understanding the nature of what God has given us. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. And let me make you sure you understand that. The Jewish people lived by the law. They lived by the law, all right? The Ten Commandments, and there were hundreds of laws that the rabbis promulgated. They lived by them, but you know what? They never were truly able to live by them. And so look what Paul says. For though, through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for Christ, live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself to me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. There it is. If righteousness was delivered to you, if salvation was delivered to you by being a good Jew and studying the law, then you know what? Jesus came for no reason at all. His death was a sham, totally unnecessary. God bankrupted heaven for no good reason at all. But I submit to you, folks, that God bankrupted heaven and Jesus came to this world because the law would never save a single one of us. Who? Nicodemus. Who better than Nicodemus to live putatively under the law? And yet he could not. And he's told that he could not. And so you see this, that we crucify ourselves. These verses are so powerful to me uh, and really resonate with me, uh, understanding what God, God is saying about our uh, how we are to act. I want you to turn also to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. And let me stop. There it is. We have the power of God. You have the Holy Spirit right now in this jar of clay. Yes, this jar of of clay, this meaningly pot, meaningless, meaningless pot of flesh. We are hard-pressed, verse uh, 8, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Oh my gosh, what a powerful explanation of what the Holy Spirit is doing inside of you. Yes, you're dying. Yes, your body is wearing out. Yes, you're going to suffer persecutions. Yes, you're going to have bad days. But in the end, God lifts you up. 
He lifts you up and affirms you. He calls you to a greater purpose. He calls you to serve him in every possible way. Uh, and so you understand what a great call it is on our lives. By salvation, so he saved you for a specific purpose. He's called you to sanctify yourself. He's called you and asked you to pick up the cross of Christ. He's called you to exhibit the very death of Jesus Christ in your body every single day. And how do I do it? I do it by showing people I'm a weak man. But through Jesus Christ, I'm strong. Yes, I suffer. Yes, I'll stumble, but I will, I will effectively stand up because he's called me and given me and given me affirmation and given me strength and poured his grace into your life. Folks, this is the message of Christmas. You understand? This is the message of Christmas. Yes, we honor the baby in the manger. Yes, we honor the angels. Yes, we honor the shepherds. Yes, we honor the wise men. But all of it, all of it is for naught but for the message to Nicodemus. You must be born again. You want everything from Christmas? That's how you get everything from Christmas. Lord, I bow. I bow to your throne. I ask you to change me forever. I give you my life. I will do what you want. I will go where you want. I will exceed whatever call you give me, Lord. I will be the man you want me to be. And even though I'm in a jar of clay and I will fall every day, Lord, I know you will pick me up and strengthen me and elevate me. That is the message of Nicodemus. That is the message for today. This is the message that God has given you for the rest of this month and the rest of your life. All of you now are in day two. Make day two the most glorious part of your life. Right to day 10,000 as God will use you in a mighty way. Let's close. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for this message that you've given us. Lord, as we drill down and see what you said to Nicodemus, our hearts resonate with that message. How you looked at a leader, a Jewish leader of great report, and told him he needed to be saved. Father, give us the strength to say that first to ourselves and then to a lost world. Give this message to our family. Give it to our friends. Let people understand what it means to be a Christian. And help us, Lord, even those who have done this, to go from day one into day two, to turn it all over to you, to have you take over our lives, to direct our paths, to direct our speech, to direct us as to what you want us to do so that we can be your men. Lord, bless our people. Protect them during the holiday season. Elevate them to give them the most glorious celebration and recognition of what Jesus did for us. Protect them and bring them back in January so that we can be together as we put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. God bless you all.